All right. You got Bibles here, guys? Or got them on your phones or something? Uh, pretend to use your Bible, even if you're using a phone. I know you're going to be surfing the net, but uh, get your Bibles out and uh, let's uh, dig into something today. We, we continue our theme on, on freedom. <clears throat> and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful theme. We've had two messages already, David and, and, and Dave, and uh, another two weeks of Dave. So we're giving you a Davidic message. For four weeks on freedom. <clears throat> you know, our country is predicated in since '94 on the Freedom Charter. Uh, we haven't always felt so free. Uh, so we're talking about a freedom that is way beyond politics, a freedom that, that politics can't provide, a freedom that uh, doesn't matter what country you're living in and what the circumstance of your life, there's a, a level of freedom that we want to tap into in this series. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to talk specifically today about the freedom that comes from intimacy with God. It's a freedom that energizes from the inside out. So we're going to be digging into that. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I know he doesn't like me saying this, but I've been reflecting a lot this last week on my brother Steve. Eh? Steve, I know he's pointing his finger at me already. Steve came into New Freedom in March last year when he, when he retired from teaching. And I, he has been an inspiration to me this whole, almost a year, eight, 10 months I've watched him. He's walking in new levels of freedom. I think, uh, and really I want Ani for that, Steve, just uh, embracing life. Uh, his daughter was saying to me what a delight it is to have a father who, who just says, come and build puzzles with me, do stuff with me, and just, and just loving life as it comes, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but actually, our entire Christian life is meant to be a life that we're actually able to enjoy. Jesus came and said, I've come that you might have life, and life more abundant. Not redundant, abundant. So don't postpone your joys to retirement, eh? Embrace it in the now. Uh, that's true for all of us. I know some of you think, that's fine for you to say, he's been released from the education department. No wonder he's, he's happy. <laughs> but uh, these things happen, uh, and sometimes our circumstances are different. But, um, you know, two men were in prison. As they looked through the window, one saw bars, the other saw stars. What are you going to be looking at as you face your life? Eh? It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of focus. What's going to energize you? So I pray God will help us. Uh, in the early ministry of Jesus, the, in fact, the first public ministry of Jesus, he uh, got a hold of the scroll of Isaiah, and we read of him reading this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And I think they're going to put that up for us. And it's a passage from Isaiah 61, which Jesus read, and, he, and, and at, at the end of it, he said, I am the fulfillment of this thing. And this thing is a, it's a prophetic expression of what Leviticus 25 talks about the jubilee of God. And in Israel's economy, by God's design, every seventh year was a sabbatical year, and every seventh day was a sabbatical day, a Sabbath, where you're supposed to live restfully. And so we're meant to build rest into our lives continuously. But every 50th year was a jubilee in which all slaves would be set free, all debts canceled. Huh? All debts canceled. Um, and, and the land allowed to lie fallow for another year as it recovers itself. Um, and it was a day of great celebration. It was announced with the trumpet sound, and it was begun on the Day of Atonement, which is significant because it correlates with Israel coming out of their bondage in Egypt, and uh, a trumpet was blasted, and they all left after they had the sacrificial Passover lamb with his, uh, eaten that and his blood painted on the doorposts of their houses, and they were set free. 
And repeatedly, as I've been soaking in on the message of Moses, as some in my one of my connect groups will be aware of that, um, I'm very conscious of, of the difficulties Moses had to lead into this freedom. He had 40 years ahead of, him, uh, ahead of the people by himself in solitude, finding the freedom that comes from the presence of God. In solitude, he engaged with God. And as he did that, he knew that he couldn't stay the same. And God got his attention with a burning bush, spoke to him and said, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And that took a matter of 10 plagues to finally convince Pharaoh. And the last plague was the, the killing of the, of, the, of the firstborn in every house. Uh, except for those who had painted the blood of the Lamb. And that was the beginning of the emphasis on Jubilee, of God setting his people free. Moses' greatest difficulty was uh, actually the reluctance of the people to take on seriously his leadership. Hebrews says that uh, when you make it hard for a leader to lead you, you don't profit, you the loser. Because they, they still have to do their job, but they don't do it with joy. And uh, that's what Moses experienced. Eh? Moses and God had this conversation, and Numbers 12 says it about Moses. That, uh, he's a man, God says, that I speak to face to face. The others I speak in visions and dreams, but with Moses I speak face to face. He had this intimacy with God that brought him into freedom to keep his eye on the promised land. It wasn't saying that he was perfect, because on that journey, you remember there were times that he, he felt, at a particular time when he, he struck the rock twice and he wasn't supposed to, and he was disobedient. God said, because you didn't follow me properly, you won't actually enter the land. Others will go in. You'll help them get there. And you remember as they entered the promised land, uh, as he held his hands up over the battle, as, as long as his hands were held up, they got the victory, and he watched Joshua and the younger generation that was all born, all except Joshua and Caleb were born in the wilderness, born in that time, the generation that came out didn't go in, but those that, that uh, were born in the desert uh, were able to enter in. And here's the thing. He has this discussion with God again and again, Lord, your people, and, and they become God's people whenever they're in pain. You know? Other time they're my people, Lord, bless my people. But, but uh, when they're giving you trouble, they're, Lord, your people, look what your people are saying, look what your people, they just want to go back to Egypt. Um, and... Uh, so that's the beginning of the Jubilee idea. God wanted his people to learn to live restfully. It took 40 years to teach them the rest of faith. There's something very freeing when you don't have to depend on the natural resources of what is seen and the facts before you, but can depend by faith on the God who speaks over what is and is not. He calls into being what is not yet. He speaks it into it as if it is, and it becomes. When he speaks to Zacchaeus, remember that story? Is he calls him righteous man. The man is a skabenga. And he calls him good man. He calls into being what is not that it might become. And Zacchaeus stands up and says, I'll take that freedom. Half my goods I'm going to give away. I'm not going to be trapped by what I own anymore. And uh, if I've cheated any man, I'll pay him back four times as much. So the jubilee. So let's go back. Put that up again. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the, the oppressed free, to proclaim the year, the jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. 
It goes on to speak about the day of vengeance. And don't you love that? The, the vengeance is a day, but the favor is a year. It's protracted of the goodness of God. I don't think there's any other revelation that is more significant in the whole of, of biblical revelation than this, that God is good. His name is good. He delights, Jeremiah 32, he delights to do his people good. The quality of our Christian living is influenced by whether we really believe in the goodness of God or have a religious perspective. And, and it's funny how it is. Eh? We can leave Egypt, but Egypt still goes with us oftentimes. Eh? And we recreate it in our religious circles. Someone's ordering pizza for us. Uh, but the jubilee is God saying, I want my people to live perpetually free and be reminded that every 50 years. So we have no record in Israeli history that this practice actually was, was exercised all the years. But Jesus comes now belatedly, as it were, after uh, hundreds of years later, and he takes it and he says, in the next verses, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He fulfills the jubilee. He is the jubilee on legs. When he, he walks, the jubilee walks. What he says, the jubilee says. So if you want to know how to live the Christian life, look to Jesus. And it's no wonder the YWAM people in their mission organization have as their motto, the aim, and it's ours too, hey, to know him and to make him known. People ask me year after year, so Dave, what's your vision for the I say, it's Jesus. We want to know him and we want to make him known. How will we make him known? Well, by becoming like him. Hey? Walking as little Jesuses sometimes called Christians. The Jubilee. And if you go with me to 1 John 3, verse 8, this is where John, now the beloved Jesus' best friend, his beloved disciple, says that um, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Um, and then go on to the next part of that verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He came to set us free from all that Eden put on us in the fall. And you remember in Eden, it was Adam and Eve that ran from God. It wasn't God hiding from them, but them hiding from God. And there's just something about our inadequacies, our fears, our shame, our guilt, uh, our complexes that keep us in a hidden space. And Jesus on us is not so clear. And he, the others don't see him because we, we carry his name like measles in spots only. We don't really carry him. I'm encouraged by... Um, the, the Plymouth Brethren who had as monks their, uh, their various convictions, and I'm not saying I endorse everything about them, but certainly this idea, they were so passionate about abolition of slavery that they made it a mandatory. They said, we can't be a Christian and have slaves. It's, contra it's contradictory. Okay? It's like an oxymoron, like military intelligence. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's an oxymoron to be a Christian but have slaves. Praise God, the church began to see that. In, 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 and in the 17th century, they really made it mandatory. They said, in, in our fellowships, we won't have slaves. In fact, more than that, we'll make sure anyone who's been harmed by slavery in any way by us at all, would be, we will make restitution. And we'll give them a, a good start going forward. And that became mandatory. So we, we actually have a policy in our church, in Fountain Vineyard, we, which is not a rule, but it's an encouragement, that anyone who comes amongst us should be encouraged to become debt-free within a couple of years, if at all possible. So we encourage good biblical stewardship uh, along the grace-based uh, values and, and, and methods that help us to, to actually reach that. Okay, so where does this land us? 
He came to destroy the works of the evil one. That's what he did. And then we have this amazing book of Galatians. And I want today to look at Galatians 5. And next week we're going to look at Galatians 6. We're going to do this in two parts. Galatians 5. Go with me to Galatians 5. If you've got your Bibles there, uh, flip over to Galatians 5. And uh, let's uh, dig into this passage. And the opening statement is a mandate of freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. In other words, freedom is essential to our living the Christian life. But it is something that we could lose, and we must stand firm. Why would you say that if it wasn't necessary to say it? You, you could wobble and lean back into your addiction. You could, you could re- recourse back to Egypt, as there were some in, when Moses led the Israelites out of, out of their uh, Egyptian bondage. They got to the Red Sea, the first blockage was that the sea was full of water and they couldn't get through. And then there were those, the gainsayers, who were saying, no, look, don't trust Moses. Look where he's taking us. He's going to give us killed on the, sh- on the edge of the sea. We must go back. And a bunch of them turned back and went back to Pharaoh. And, of course, as his army approached, uh, he took one look at this little rabble of fear, fear-based people and just killed them. They didn't, they didn't make it anyway. And then Moses reached out and did what God showed him to do, and the sea parted, and they went through. And then eventually the sea closed in and drowned all his enemies. And isn't that a wonderful thing? As a, Peter says, that's a picture of baptism. As they went through the Red Sea, as a statement uh, that we're determined to do this journey. We're going to get through, and we're not going back to Egypt. For good heavens, we can't eat that Egyptian food anymore. After they said, we can't eat this manna and these quails anymore, but uh, there's another thing. They had to get used to the faith, di- faith diet. Eh? But uh, the reality was that they then had to start the journey of learning for 40 years how to live the freedom of the faith life. And faith is not faith in faith. It's not a psychological gimmick. It's faith in a loving God who says, I can't help myself but want to do you good. God is constantly, constantly, every day looking for opportunities to do you good. If you could have that carved into the recesses of your soul, imagine how that will change your life. That's been this most significant revelation in my heart, has been the, the fact that God is actually for me. I don't know why, but he is. And it is transformative. Uh, I know that what he's done for me, he would like to do for many and over the years, we've seen people reach for levels of freedom that actually have had taints in them. I think I'll just mention a few. Over the years, there was a season when we were very, very blessed by John Eldridge's book, uh, Wild at Heart. How many of you read Wild at Heart? How many were blessed by reading it? I was. Okay. There were some that took that and applied it in a way that said, if you really are wild at heart, it's all about calling out men into adventurous living and, and confidence if you really are wild at heart, you shouldn't be under submission to anybody. You should be your own Marlboro man. Uh, you know the, how many do you smoke? A Marlboro man, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so there was a disdain for corporate church and, and, and leadership that came up there. And people easily spoke against leadership because they're wild at heart. And that is unfortunately a shadow side to what is a good message, essentially. But it led to something negative. And that's what the devil always tries to do, hey? If you can't stop us believing something, you'll make us take it and put an edge to it. Put another edge to it. Before we know it, we're back in bondage. In this case, bondage to uh, rampant independence and individualism. So we have to think more carefully about how do we apply this this, uh, 
freedom that comes from intimacy with God because it's, it's faith that brings this, this freedom and it's a faith in God. It's our intimacy with him, what he's saying to us. Uh, there's another movement that, that has uh, abounded and those that have, uh, and have continued to propound it uh, in terms of dying to self. And we know that's essential to the gospel. We're not even in bondage to the self-life anymore because Jesus sets us free. But that doesn't mean we stay focused on death. We know that his, his crucifixion was only a necessity in order to get to an empty tomb. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. The focus merely on his death is inadequate. Because many can die. Many have died and died for good purposes. But can you be raised again? The hope of the world. We believe in a Savior that loves to the uttermost. And uh, those who've been living in the gutter have been brought now to a revelation of his love on the cross. But he says, I'm doing this because I'm, and he prophesied, in three days I'll rise again and I'll build my temple. My temple will not be this thing that's been torn down. And it was torn down 70, 70 years, uh, in AD 70, about 35 years later. It was torn down. And you know, Jesus wants us to understand that uh, the gospel sets us free, uh, not just to die to self, which can lead us into levels of, of uh, inadequacy, false humility, modesty, passivity even, because we're just dying, so no one should aspire to, uh, to radical things because don't expect great things. Whereas, take Mary, hey? And she sees him, and, and he's, he's the, she thinks he's the gardener, and he, and he uses her name, and suddenly the intimacy in her for him and his, his faith in what she could become in the love of God awakens, and she realizes, my Lord and my God. Huh? Doubting Thomas similarly, when they realize this is the Lord, the power of his resurrection. So Paul says, Philippians 3, I pray, Lord, this is the one thing I want, to know him, to become like him. Conformed unto his death, but knowing the power of his resurrection. It's not adequate only to preach dying to self with you without emphasizing the resurrection life. We have been called to so much more. And unfortunately, many, many believers have settled for little. And God wants you to lead others to the Lord. I think of Mordecai Ham, a Sunday school teacher who had a small class of boys. <clears throat> and he wondered at times, what's the good of this? Here's my life. I'm loving these boys, but it's such a small group. But one of those boys turned out to be Billy Graham, who's the greatest evangelist in all Christendom that we have known as far as our numbers go. He was a Sunday school student in Mordecai Ham's class. And you might think, oh, I'm just a, a Randall Moore. <laughs> I'm a Dave Grewer. I'm a Benny, whatever. What can I do? You might, have a, you might have a Billy Graham right there at your fingertips. And if you love him and teach him Jesus and help him to know him, you could be a world changer. Millions upon millions. At times that Billy Graham preached to away in excess of a million people at a time. Randall, you got saved under Billy Graham's ministry. Huh? What, was it on TV or radio, was it? TV. Slayer TV in those days. Huh? Yeah. Just checking out all your... <laughs> You're watching TV, is that right? And, and, and the message of Billy Graham impacted Randall's heart and he, and he upped his heart to Jesus, got born again eh? through the TV. How's that, man? I want to say to you, you can't just emphasize dying to self. You have to know that there's, there's a new man in you that is right. If any, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
There's a resurrection dimension that we mustn't forget. I think the other thing I was going to mention here is sometimes our bondage relates to our, our culture, eh? your, your, your ethnic culture, uh, and there are things that you might be attached to because of your ethnic culture, uh, maybe your family culture, maybe even just a personal culture. This is the way we've always done it. Eh? And so we get stuck with that and we don't want to change it. But God has got so much more for us. I want to be vulnerably honest. I have one of my burdens of my ministry call that's not yet fulfilled. I would love to see significant numbers of closer people come to Jesus. Does it, do you know what I'm, what I'm saying when I say that? And one of, the, one of the essential necessities for that to happen is a turning of back on ancestral worship. And you know how hard it is because of cultural addiction. And so they might be freed by God in a measure of religious gospel response, but actually still imprisoned by culture. I'm not saying it disdainfully of the people, of the individuals, but as a philosophy, as a seductive um, de deception. God wants to set people free, and all of our cultures have inhibitions and problems. Eh? Good heavens. We've got some. Can you name some? Are yours? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I travel, and, and I meet with people multicultural now, and I'm always intrigued by the varieties. And, and they call us South Africans just, you know, crocodile dundees or something. We, we, we're attached to our rusticity. Others are attached to their... If you ever caught a tube in London... And everybody's hidden behind their papers. Eh? Nobody wants to, if you talk to someone, they think you're mad. They won't go near you. You know, there's just something about our cultures, and you could you could take cultures of the world and and find a unique element in each culture that we think does harm to the overall expression of freedom in our new humanity. But the point I'm trying to make is we 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 all need to deal with our cultures. Eh? It would otherwise keep us back. In fact. There are, there are a variety. I just quickly sat down and said, well, Lord, what other addictions, bondages do we need to deal with if we're going to live this faith life of freedom? There might be all kinds of addictions. And uh, Johan Hari says the answer to addiction is connection. And that's why uh, the teams of people lead us with um, connect groups, how people connect, because as we connect, iron sharpens iron, and we break off the shackles of each other's addictive ways. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, familiarity. Some people are bound by familiarity. You only want to do what's always been done. Don't ask me to change it. That's the way it's always been. You know that woman that was, uh, <laughs> uh, when she, this guy got married, and, and uh, when, when his wife presented the roast, he, he couldn't understand why she cut off the juices part of the roast. Remember? Do you know this story? She cut off the juices, and he said, sweetie, I love you so much, but why do you cut that off? He says, well, I don't know. My mother always did it. Go ask her. So she, he went and asked his mom-in-law. And she, and she said, look, I don't know why, but my mother always used it. So he went and asked granny-in-law. And she said, yeah, well, back there on the farm, in those days, we had a very small oven. So we always had to cut the, the little corner off so the thing could fit in. <laughs> Sometimes we just carry on and perpetuate uh, what has become familiar with no good reason. And as a result, we are losing the juiciest parts. Eh? God help us. Some people are... Are, are, are chained to boredom. Your life is the same. Nothing's changing. And you, you don't have the time or the inclination to reach for a new innovation. And so you're stuck in the same old, same old. Financial chaos. Another bondage, eh? Debt. Chaos, not knowing what's going down. How much to use for what? 
and uh, fear of failure, so many of these things, isolation, people living, uh, I heard of a man in Germany, uh, they found out five years after he died that he was dead. He was in his, in his apartment and they had a newspaper on his lap with a date on it that he'd been reading. He died and no one knew. And his social uh, papers, payments were coming through and paying his bills ongoingly. And no one ever bothered to check it until finally somebody discovered. Imagine living at that level of isolation. No one even knows. Hey? May God help us to be a people that are willing to be known. And of course, religious bondage is one of the worst. Um, when we want people to dress a certain way, behave a certain way. And uh, I think it's wonderful that we can... Some of you might remember Lonnie Frisbee. He was uh, quite a mover in the Jesus People movement in the early vineyard and Calvary Chapel days back in California. And uh, when he came and, and preached his, uh, what's called the Mother's Day message uh, in 1982, I believe it was, uh, somewhere around there in 1980, um, at the church that John Wimber was pastoring, uh, you know, he just climbed over the pews, because there were pews in those days, still climbed over the pews to reach people. And it was just such a sense of, this is our house, this is just our barn, we can do what we, we don't need to, there's an, sometimes in religion there's an overplay on decency, eh? overplay on things being specifically right. Who says it's right? I tell you what, I'd rather have the chaos of a crash than the order of a cemetery. <laughs> eh? Think about it. I'll have much more fellowship with those kids than I would in, in a cemetery. <laughs> All right, so Galatians 5, just watch this now. I'm going to open this a little bit for you. Galatians 5, and there's three ways in which this, uh, this freedom will be demonstrated for us. The first is, is, is in service. He says in verse 13, uh, Galatians 5, once for freedom, Christ set you free. Then he goes on speaking about this, about how it plays out in our lives. And, um, and then he says, uh, oh, watch, watch it. Let me pick up in verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? So you can lose your, your freedom. Hey? Someone can cut in on you. And keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It is very, very important that we as a church stay passionate about the purity of the gospel and don't allow a little yeast of legalism to come in. We've got to stay dangerously free. In the words of Peter Gregg, sometimes embracing dirty glory. We're broken people who have the presence of God upon their lives, who don't deserve it, but have it. You know what I'm saying, people? I mean, surely there's some more better deserving people than that one. Huh? And yet God comes through. I mean, it's such a powerful yeast. Watch out for the, the yeast, he says, uh, he says in verse 10. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. Um, the one who's throwing you to this confusion will pay the penalty, uh, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the, of the cross has been abolished. You know, if we take on a religious thing of circumcision, then uh, the cross is unnecessary because it's Christ plus. If it's Christ plus anything, it's not the gospel. As for those, verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way. And em- oh, I shouldn't read this. This is emasculate themselves, he says here. He says, he says, cut it off. That's what he says. It's like we're having our, some of our rituals, rites here, hey? Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So that's the first sign we know that our freedom is, is, is actual, is that we, 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 we call to serve. When there's a call for somebody to come out and help us pitch up tents at the, come on, 
Don't feel guilty yet. I'm not finished saying it. At the prayer camp. Come on, Dave. I'll take a day's leave. I'll take unpaid leave. I'll be there. How many tents do you want me to pitch? Uh, or transport or whatever it might be. But you're willing to serve, huh? And so you, you've shaken off the bondage to a consumer mindset. You don't join a church because of what's in it for you. None of you came here actually because of what's in it for you. You might have thought you came for that, but we pray that God will bring to us the people that God calls here, that he wants here. We are together by the call of God. And so we also want to know that we'll leave when God calls us to leave. Not when we're offended in each other, but when he calls us to leave, we will leave. Huh? Sean Richards, you can offend me anything you want, any amount you want to, but I will not stop loving you. It's hard sometimes, I must admit, but... Sean is the guy God put in my life to improve my prayer life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California uh, says that what we really need uh, are serving experiences in which we can exercise our spiritual uh, muscles. Lest we atrophy in just our studies about it. Sometimes people love the Bible so much. It's like going to a restaurant. Imagine going to a restaurant and loving the menu. You read it from beginning to end, and you say, thank you, and you close it and you go home. Your stomach is rumbling and say, man, that's not why you came. That thing's supposed to take you to the right choices. In fact, if you don't know what you choose, just take the whole thing top to bottom and say, give it all. Uh, we, we need to understand the call to serve. Hey? I'm, I'm amazed at how sometimes people expect others to grow them, grow me. Hey? Colin, I'm often amazed that our kids just got big. One way or another, they got big. Eh? They grew up with our best and, and our broken ways. They, they got big. Eh? May God help us to take responsibility for our own growth. That's the first way we're going to know we walk in the field. We have a willingness to serve. The second way is in verse 16. I say to you, he says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And then he goes on talking about what that means, uh, this, uh, what the flesh leads us to, what the Spirit leads us to. I believe that if you are free, and Dave, I think, quoted this last week, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Um, and we are growing in that freedom. So I believe that if we are free, we'll be constantly in tune to listening to the promptings and convictions and guidance of the Spirit. And uh, it's quite amazing. I felt led to have a meal with somebody about 10 days back and uh, had this meal. I hadn't seen him for a year, two years, I had a meal with him, and a few days later he had a family crisis. Just a few days later. He came to see me the week later. And uh, how would that have been? It was like God connected us so that he, he knew where he could turn when the crisis hit on the weekend. So just follow the promptings. You never know. I've got a good meal out of it anyway, so just a good prompting, that one. Yeah. I mean, like at the time, I, I'd just come into the life of the Spirit. I'd just been baptized in the Spirit back in 1973. And I was there, I think I told the story to somebody, but I was there going for a run. I was at Carmel at a, a, a camp or something. I went for an afternoon run, and I, I met a man on the street going down there towards wilderness. Um, and I felt the Lord say to him, go over and talk to him. I talked to him. I found out that this guy really needed Jesus. I, I shared the gospel with him, and he got born again. Then after the Lord said, take the juice that you could tie it around your waist and give it to my, it's my, my mother's favorite juice. She'd give it to me as a gift. I said, well, Lord, are you sure? Can you handle my mother? You know. <laughs> I was only 17, I'll throw. I took the juice and I gave it to him. 
You know, in the two, three years that followed, we kept up a very close correspondence. He turned out to be a manager of the Wilderness Hotel. And he'd gone out into the uh, solitude uh, to contemplate the despair of his life and, and commit suicide. And there I was, just running. And he said, the thing that, that, that gravitated me to, to really take your message seriously was when you gave me that jersey. It wasn't the jersey in itself, but it was the act of giving. Huh? <clears throat> they will never outgive God. That's another thing. I didn't get into trouble. But openness to the Holy Spirit. Uh, watch out for the Gnostic view of that, where you have a hotline to God and it doesn't have collaboration with others. When you read in the book of Acts, it does seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us. There's a plurality in the witness to the leading of the Spirit. We've seen churches get unstuck and go wrong when some leader independently calls for a direction and there's no commitment to, to the testing of that in the, uh, in the multitude of witnesses. Eh? So watch out for uh, the arrogance of, of Gnostic guidance that doesn't lean on the Lord. And then verse 24 the third way that you'll know your freedom is, is, is active is in living the uh, crucified life. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. There's a passion in you to die to everything in you that disdains the Christ life. You die to it. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. Anything you use a cross for is to die. And he says, oh, you'll have new life after that. And that's exactly what we want to be focusing on. So can I wrap this together with a, a reference back to, and you can read the story for yourself, the whole of Luke 22. It's a great passage, but there's a middle section towards the second half of that chapter where Peter um, has some conversations, not with Jesus, but they start off about Jesus. Now, just bear in mind that Peter had been warned by Jesus that Satan had desired to sift him like wheat and that he would be, he would be converted and then he would have a ministry. Now, I want to say to any of you who have ever failed, how many have ever failed at anything at all, even water skiing? You know what, you've, tasted, you've had the taste of failure, right? Jesus warned Peter that he would fail, but out of his processing, his failure would come a ministry to others. If you failed in your career, you failed in your marriage, you failed in your parenting, eh? you failed in your, in your money management, you failed in your, your church ministry, whatever area of failure that you've, you've engaged in, if you bring it to God and allow him to breathe his grace in it, it could be the beginning of a new level of life for others. Because guess what? Others are helped when they find in our vulnerability there's an authenticity that sparks hope for them. Hey? So I want to say to you, in this church, we specialize in people who own their failure. Some people are failures, but they won't let anybody tell them that. If you can only acknowledge it and find that this is a safe thing to do, it could be the beginning of a whole new chapter. So three conversations Peter has, and we close with this. The first is a, a little girl comes to him, Luke 22, and she says to him uh, in verse 56, um, weren't you with him as well as he's standing in the courtyard there by the fire warming himself, and they've got Jesus taken captive already? Weren't you with him? And he says to the woman, I don't know him. The beginning of the loss of his freedom. He denies his intimacy, his knowledge, his relationship with Jesus. When you stop pressing into Jesus, there are many things that will follow, but it starts with that. Don't give up on your daily pursuit of him. Start every day saying, Lord, thank you for giving me a night that I could, and that I could wake up this morning. <laughs> and thank you for all that you're on my life. And read his word, journal, 
Engage with God. Connect with Him. Make Him the priority of your day. Know Him. Peter's fall began because he denied his relationship with Jesus. And that's not something, you know, back in the monastic days, they'd hire a monk to do their spirituality for them. We, we, it's not why we've got a church staff. Eh? Just as in case some of you are wondering, we haven't hired people to do our spirituality. And that's what some people fall into. So what's the first thing he says? Uh, and by the way, when he was denying Jesus, he was actually denying his leader. Very, very careful about speaking evil of leadership. Or speaking dispassionately or discouragingly of leadership. It's hard to be a leader, eh? Criticism, fatigue, loneliness can get to you. The point of the error. Be very careful. Pray for those in leadership. The Bible says so. Whether church leadership, national leadership, pray for leadership. Be very careful. And if you are in leadership, you connect to the neurosystem of the church, eh? And you know, you sense it. It's not yet been said in words, but you sense it when someone has pulled back from uh, respect for you or trust in you. I always say to people on a national level, I can only lead those that trust me. Like Moses coming out of Egypt. They had to trust him. That's the first. The second thing, he gets confronted by uh, another one who says to him across the fire, aren't you one of them? Pointing to the disciples. Aren't you one of them? Weren't you with them? And he says, I am not. I'm not one of them. He denies the fellowship. He denies his intimacy, then he denies the fellowship. And starts absenting himself, as it were, from connection with others. And when you, when you lean into your own isolation, it's the beginning of the loss of your freedom. Because we actually need, we need the covenant of French of fellowship on, grace, on a grace basis in order to live the full freedom that is embraced in the gospel. And then <clears throat> verse uh, 59 through 60, the third challenge comes says, I know you're one of them. You, you're a Galilean. Aren't you a Galilean? And that's the first name that the Christian faith by its beliefs was called, the, the faith of the Galileans, because most of them came from the Galilee up in the northern part of Israel. And um, Peter says this in response to that third accusation. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. He denies even the faith. When you deny intimacy with Jesus, you, you lean into being disparaging towards fellowship and absenting yourself bit by bit from fellowship and, and you move into isolation. But ultimately, you'll lose your way. Praise God that there's grace. But I do agonize over those that lost their way through COVID. The isolation of COVID led many to have a fear-based lean into science of all kinds of makes and descriptions and fear-based conspiracies. And it's brought lots of damage to people. There are, there are casualties from church fellowship now, all globally, because of, of the things that have resulted. And there are those that have come out of that now who actually disparage any form of gathering of believers, just gathering twos and threes or small clusters in around the lounge. And that's, that's what church is all about. Church is, is that, but it's much more. It's that plus, eh? So we have, we have the, the classic effect of these things in Peter's life played out for us over the COVID time. Watch out, don't lose your intimacy, don't lose your fellowship, and don't lose your faith. Let it land on that. We'll pick up next week, eh? Is that okay? Why don't you stand with me?
Come, Holy Spirit, would you just massage into us the uh, things you want each of us to respond to, to hold in our hearts. We don't want to just have water, like the word washing over us. We, we want to receive it into this good soil. I pray, Lord, that any part of this message that has particular relevance for anybody in this room would not just be shrugged off. Your spirit would lead us to embrace a, a seriousness about the freedom that your gospel brings. Help us to do this, Lord. Help us to walk as free people. We want to break every addiction, every bondage. And I'm going to pray over that today. Don't be, don't be shy. This morning, my quiet time, I was reading Mark 3, how Jesus chose those who, whom he wanted, and that they might be with him, and that they might have authority to cast out demons. First thing he said, I want to teach you to set people free, because that's why I've come. Set people free. Is there any form of bondage in your life that you'd like God to break? Would you just raise your hand for me right now? I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise your hand. Keep it up there. That's it. All over the place. Lord, Give grace right now. If there's any form of body, it might be a, a habit you've got, uh, it might be a fear, it might be a, a fear of failure. Right? Yeah, any form of bondage, of, of addiction, of things that have diminished your life, that keep you from living the free life that you know you could have because of Jesus. Some don't, and don't raise your hand for this, but some I feel the marriage is so painful. It is so hurtful, and that's a difficult addiction or bondage to speak of because you don't want to disdain the other person. And that person too, Lord, right now, pray for your spirit to reach them. Come, Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you move across this auditorium right now? Just open your hands to the Lord if, if you want to receive what he wants to impart. God wants to pour an anointing of his spirit there to teach you the ways of freedom. There's some who need to die to some practices in your life that are sinful. And some relationships that have not yet been brought in order that God wants to, to bring correction to. And this is a time for that. God's not mad at you. God's mad at the devil. He wants to keep you in confusion and bondage. He wants to set you free. That's what God wants to do. Come Holy Spirit, right across this room. Right across this room. Thank you for what you're doing. Spirit of truth, lead us into truth that sets free. Thank you, Lord. If you'd like someone to stand with you in prayer, uh, as we close this meeting, if you'd like someone to stand with you in prayer, because you know sometimes you've got to not just take on the warfare alone, but stand with others. I want you just to come and stand there in the front or kneel in the front, and we'll have others coming up immediately. If you see someone coming up that you'd like to support, pray with, just come and stand with them. But we, I want to see people say yes to freedom today. No more bondage. So if you'd like to do that right now, while we draw the meeting to a close, feel free to come up, stand in the front, and let's have, let's have people agreeing together for the breaking down of every bondage, every addiction, every brokenness that keeps you back from living the freedom that the gospel brings. It may be to do with your personal life, maybe with your business life. Some of you feel like business is not free for you. There's so much anxiety and pressure there. As people come, some just come and begin to pray with them as they come forward. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We'd love to stand with each other. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Say yes to connection. Go for it, Darren. Yeah, church, just again to encourage you, there's no, what's the word? There's no judgment or shame in responding to the truth that the Lord brings to our lives because he loves us mm. and he genuinely wants us to walk in his freedom. Mm. So, yes, you can do this on your own and you can do it before the Lord as your witness, but we encourage you to do it with others. Mm. It okay. makes the journey so much more easier. Mm. Not always less painful, but easier. So mm. respond yeah. if you feel the Lord speaking to you. Don't miss out on the opportunity Absolutely. to connect with God. I also felt this morning prompted to say, if there's anyone in the house today that hasn't known Jesus or haven't talked with Jesus, connected with him for a long time, we'd love to pray with you. This is also a house where people can come to know him and be born again. And we'd love to lead you into a relationship with God that would be life-giving, releasing, and you can walk in the, in the fullness of that freedom. Anyone else like prayer? Yeah, sure. Come up here. Just stand up here. I'll see you. I can't see um, something that stood out, I don't know if it was specifically what Uncle Dave was saying, but he talked about debt, and I'm like, that's me, <laughs> you know, so I think that, and it impacted me a lot that he said debt steals our freedom, so maybe if there's anybody that also wants us to pray with you for debt, I know I'm one of those, so yeah, I'm happy to pray with you. Mm. Thank you. Who'd like more financial freedom than you've got right now? Anybody? More financial freedom than you've got? Come up here, come up here. Just pray for people if you need financial freedom. Casey's got a anointing for that right now. So let's, you want financial freedom? Come and stand here. Do you want to say something, Dave? Sorry, I had to go and wipe a bum. But um, just uh, on, 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 in line with what Casey was saying as well, I got a message from Gareth this week, and it said, um, your scarcity doesn't cap God's generosity. So I just mm. felt it was also in yeah. line with that. People that... Uh, or just like feel overwhelmed by scarcity mm, yeah. and uh, feel like it's a burden, you know, and it's actually robbing them of their freedom. Mm. Just to remind you of that as well. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your presence in this place and thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. And as we go out into the week ahead, we want to live this life this week, the free life. Help us to live with levels of freedom that we've, we've, we've never really known. Pray you take us to greater levels of freedom than ever before. So be blessed. And if you want prayer, while others go for their coffee or whatever, go that, they go that way, you come this way. We'll have some people stay around here to pray for you as well, so un unhurried. We need, Shane, we need to chat just now. Huh? Okay. All right. Anyone else need prayer? Come up here. God bless you guys. Have a good week. We pick up on this next Sunday morning. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Eh?